Wait, did you hear? <gasps> no. We're diving into the juiciest celebrity profiles of all time. I'm Beatrice Hazelhurst. And I'm Ivana Ryder. This, this is Uncover Girl. Girl. Dimitri has absolutely mastered psychological warfare. Oh my God, what is he doing now? Oh no. Okay, so you have obviously been along with me on this journey for a long time, but um, Dimitri is this cat, beautiful cat, beautiful, beautiful man that uh, we adopted from the Ukraine. We love him. He's the sweetest in the world. But my God, I mean, we're going to get into petty moves today. No. He's He's the pettiest pet. I think I've ever known. Okay, so we have been dealing with this like on and off problem of him peeing where he wants when he feels like it. And for a long time we thought, okay, he's just gone into a bad habit because we let him outside and he likes to go outside and then like he refuses to go in the little box. So we've tried many things. We thought we fixed it. And we I think we have to some extent. He has started deploying it as a weapon. When he doesn't get his way, I'll set the scene. It's six o'clock. We're coming home from work. You know, we're exhausted. He starts yelling, yelling to go outside. Mm -hmm. When we don't uh, pay attention to him, when we ignore him, tough love, he goes straight to the bed, pees. We have to clean not only the comforter, the duvet cover, the sheets, but also the lining on the bottom of the mattress. Mm -hmm. So it's a full scale production of like multiple rounds of laundry. It's so calculated. It's so strategic. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's not like a like, Oh, oops, I forgot. It's a like, watch me come for you. Like, Oh, you don't think I'm going to, you don't think I'm going to pull the trigger. They're like, they know they're doing it. I, my cat, the time that she's done that, because I left for like six weeks, I came back and she looked at me and she peed on my pillow. And I was like, okay, message heard. Message received. And it is the most uh, effective, I think, tool to really get us to sit up and listen because it is, it's so extreme. Like cats can do anything, you know, they could like knock stuff over, they could scratch the couch, whatever. There's nothing like urination to really get your point across. I have now cleaned our sheets three times this week. No, not this week. This week, all at the same time of night when he has like screamed at us to go outside or last night when I was straightening my hair, Ivana, for a Friday night dinner and I wasn't giving him enough attention. Petty little man. Petty. Oh, there he is, Natal. Hey, Steven. (laughs) You can't hear me, but I can see you. <laughs> she says, you can't hear me, but I can see you. He's almost off. He's almost off. Okay. He's blow drying his hair? No, he finished. He finished. He's done with all oh. that. He's just putting a little oh. top on and then he'll hit the club. I have a lot of respect that he does his hair. Yeah, yeah. It's not a, It's not like an optional move. It's like, this is how it needs to be. And this is like, there's like a couple different products that he's used that he's experimented with. And um, that's why his hair always looks good. Yeah. Talking about you. How long does it last? Here he is. I mean, in theory, it should last all day in some form. I should be able to mess with it, you mm-hmm. know, two and a half good days. And then you're re-washing? No. Then I try to, I just kind of get by by 
I do some products that don't have oil in them. And then the last day or two, I wear hat. And then such I a refined it. man. And then I washed. It's looking bouffant. Yeah, <laughs> I know the first. <laughs> All right, he's off. Now you got his whole routine. He did like a get ready with me. I just like to start with something light. <laughs> hey, Vogue. <laughs> um, What's inspiring you this week, my angel? Oh my god, I had I had a couple, and I'm kind of still narrowing it down. Oh God! Oh God! Nothing's inspiring you. No, so- something's inspired me. Oh, oh, I know. I'm. I've been busy again this week. That's inspiring me. I have not been busy in a long time, and this week I had to like write four stories, and I, I one forgot how that felt because it's just it was like the holidays and nobody's commissioning things over the holidays, and then, but I was truly busy again. It felt very good, even. Even though the things that I was writing about, nothing, nothing of like immediate interest to me, but <laughs> even just the action of being busy, of being like, oh my God, like I, I have two stories down, two more to go. And then that'll be my week. I, oh God, it felt good. I miss it. I miss it so much. So I think, and honestly, now I'm, I'm embarking on a period of busyness. So that will be good for the month of February. It's a new month. It feels fresh. It feels fun I think that that was my main thing that was like actively had an impact on my morale and has like made my brain work again yeah as a freelancer january is always a dead zone that's when you spiral the most and every year i forget every year i'm like what is going yep. on like not an email answered and then it's like yeah nobody is that's nobody you're also such a classic creative too in the sense that you really thrive under pressure like you love a last minute deadline that really pushes you over the edge <laughs> I know no and I also find that I'm actually more creative when I'm really busy like there's this idea of like when you have endless time that's when you'll work on your great works but I'm honestly I've always found it to be the opposite it's like when I have an entire day I'm using that entire day to like stroll around the neighborhood I'm just kind of lounging around. I'm reading. When I have two hours, I'm like, oh my God, I have to work on my short story collection. Like, I, oh my God, I have to do this. And then suddenly, like, my creative work comes to the forefront in a way that it doesn't. So, in some ways, I'm like, maybe the residency format doesn't work for me, where it's like you go and all you have to do is write and there's nothing else going on. I sort of like need, I need something else to force me into the, to the creative work. Completely. I've got what's inspiring me through the course of this conversation. It's kind of twofold, but they connect well. I am releasing the concept of fulfillment. Yeah. Let me go on. (laughs) I I cannot wait to hear what you have to say next. You cannot say it fast enough. Deciding to take on this half marathon in the midst of, you know, a new job. There was a lot going on. I just added like another thing to my plate, which like rock on. It's very uh, me coded to do that. And um, I really thought I would feel some sense of like accomplishment, success in the wake of it. Um, I did not. I did not. I I finished. I took a, a thimble full of Gatorade, which was all this kind of bootleg um, fun run <laughs> provided. I oh, didn't even no. run across the finish line because I didn't what? see it. I didn't see it. I just ran towards Chris at the end and he was like, no, 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 no. It's like follow the chalk around the cones. And the organizer's like, it's okay. It's okay. You got you. We got your time. Don't worry about it. 
that is truly how uh quote unquote boutique this run was it was just oh laps God. with a chalk demarcation it was it was so funny but i left it and i was like okay that was that and that's fine and that has kind of been a running theme in my life recently where i'm also releasing the concept of like korea um <laughs> as a whole yeah um how do i say like kind of like milestones I used to be so goal-driven. I spent most of my life being goal-driven and everything was working towards that point of getting the flowers at the end. And I think growing up is realizing that the flowers aren't always there waiting. Sometimes just like showing up and doing the thing can be, you know, as rewarding as crossing or in my case, not crossing the chalk finish line. So I think just being in the workforce in the way that I am right now <laughs> and uh, and kind of like let, watching like the media burn, which we talk about frequently because obviously this is a media-based podcast. It's just really like reinforcing to me the fact of what I used to see as success in like a traditional career arc is actually just not applicable anymore and, and shouldn't be. It doesn't have to be. And there's also like a farce that I think a lot of people fall into it. The trap that working in the creative industries puts you at kind of a higher tier, an upper echelon to like a more regular job. And I've seen that like play out firsthand with a, with a friend of mine who was seeing a guy who's a musician who was like, I don't have time for you. I'm in the studio till 4am kind of thing. Oh my God. And yeah. <laughs> and it's like, she also has a job that she kills it at she has so much responsibility. She is undoubtedly making more money than him, yet her needs are secondary because he is creating this like intangible, subjective, glorious thing called art. I'm releasing it all. I'm releasing it all. I'm releasing like the the kind of the ambition to get to the next level, trying to get ahead or make the right moves to end up in the right place. I just and day by day, week by week, kind of going with the flow. And in the case of this half marathon, it meant just showing up in an unseasonably hot day and getting that thimble full of water at the end. And that was that. And you're kind of like, okay. And now we go on. I love this. And I think that by speaking it out into the ether, you will free a lot of people of their shackles. Because I think right now, it's heavy on the mind, the concept of career and fulfillment and the path and ambition and all of those things. And I just think that all of them are revealing themselves to be nothing, like a cloud of actual dust that means nothing and is nothing tangible, like we can never touch a career. And I'm there with you. I'm there with you. I think it's because we were the last, and I'm sure we've talked about this on a previous episode, but we were the last generation raised with this like devil wears Prada mindset of like start at the bottom, foot in the door, all these like adages, right? That we heard all the time, like climb the ladder, you know, find a mentor and just like work your way up. Like we can spout these well-worn sayings like over and over again because that's how we were raised that's truly how we were raised and it's interesting to see this next generation like gen z gen alpha like dismantle the obviously the traditional corporate structure in many ways i mean they don't want to work but i think it's also simultaneously hard for us to let go of what we know which was like you just leave the office a little bit later if you just try and fit it all in then the fruits of your labor will be revealed. And I, I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think finding, finding balance, finding 
things outside of your profession that kind of serve your identity and bolster your ego in other ways is really helpful. We're really in this moment where everything we have learned or been taught has proved false. I mean, I remember like entering the media and thinking it was a more like viable and practical career choice than a film path. I wanted to be a a filmmaker. And then I was like, actually, hold up. Let's go into the media. That seems pretty robust. Let's go into something a little safer. Yes. (laughs) Which like arguably, I mean, I don't even know, actually. Between those two, they're both right now having a real, a dark night of the soul, those industries. Exactly. And so it's just it's just so funny because also the media was built on the backs of interning your way to the editor's office. And now mm-hmm. it's like connections to be made, babies to be kissed. Everything is self-promotion and branding uh, in a way that like I never signed up for or I'm not particularly good at. It's just a new world. Yeah, I think when I really get real with myself of what I would like to be when I'm 35. It's mostly just happy. I would like to be enjoying my life. And other than that, I don't really know the rest. I don't know the details. I don't have like a role in mind or a title in mind. I don't have like an accomplishment in mind. None of those things. Because I also, I feel like I try to be process oriented versus goal oriented of like, I like doing the work. So that's why I do it versus like, I like doing the work so that one day I can win the Pulitzer Prize. And it's tough to let go or even sit in the fact that life may be being derailed in this moment. Like what you're doing or working on now might not be seen or considered as quote unquote important. I think that's tough to reconcile. I know. And honestly, that does go back to my inspiration because nothing of what I did was important, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the doing it. Yeah. I really like doing things in secret. I want to reveal one of my secrets, but then I also kind of want to keep it a secret of something that I'm currently working on that I've told not a soul. <laughs> oh, we've talked about this before. Creative secrecy. You're yeah, a creative secrecy. proponent. I- I am. This one's not even creative, but I'm going to reveal it on the pod. This is one of my secret ambitions that I've been working on that's like just been for me. But I'm close now to the end. So I feel comfortable. It doesn't feel like I have um, like forsaken the process and the, the the sacredness of it. But I am trying to do the splits for the first time since I was like very young. Really? Can you show me? I'm not stretched, though. I really should stretch. But I'll, I'll see what it is. Unstretched morning. Like I haven't moved yet. So one moment. Totally. I'll I'll take it with a grain of salt. Also to flag, I have made the splits my New Year's resolution for the last five years, and yet I have... Oh, you are so close. Wow. <laughs> Did you see? Could you see? <laughs> you were so close. I know. I'm so close. I'm so close. So that's... I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable telling now what I've been, what I've been cooking up in here. <laughs> No, I also, I just told the Argos that I have made the splits my New Year's resolution for the past four years in a row. Wait, really? <laughs> yes. No, and every day I start, I start so strong week one of January and then I'm like, all right, well, um, that seems about, that seems pretty good. That's good. And- <laughs> <laughs> but no, that is truly inspiring. Like I will now be back on the wagon after seeing that. You were oh so my close God. to the okay. ground, dude. It was like five inches. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's like this far. And if I really stretch out, I can like, I can like feel one of my legs like almost being <gasps> on the ground. So could you ever yeah, do them so, like as a child? 
Yeah, when I was dancing as like a youth, I um, became briefly very obsessed with the idea of becoming a dancer and like having that be my new identity because they were the hottest girls in my school. So I started like taking dance classes that actually I was like training to do the splits. Like I was trying to do like the front splits, splits on both sides, but then I absolutely dropped off in every way. So it's so crazy when you think about how gendered activities were growing up because my God, like we all danced and not all of us like are cut out to dance. You know, no. that was a cross we all bid of like, let's do jazz ballet. I'm going to do hip hop. Someone's going to do the river dance and someone's doing Highland dancing. Actually, I, a new, a new ago, a straight man, can you believe, told Chris the other day that he was a competitive, like world renowned river dancer. Oh my God. And that's an incredible fact. That's like, do you remember like the MTV show, that dating show where it was like, next, hates next, red the show is next. Next. Yeah. Yes, Next, of it's course. Like, I think about it every day, every day. It's like that is what you would add. You'd be like, hate pasta sauce, loves long walks on the beach, competitive river dancer. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. That's a no brainer. I'm choosing you. So cute. Amazing. I know, but seeing your splits has really like reignited my ambition, really. Me talking about letting go of ambition and then here I am again, staring it right in the face. Ignited. I mean, this is the thing. It's life is cyclical. Life comes in seasons. We let go and then we pick it right back up. We let go and then we pick it right back up. So right now you're in a period of letting go, but you're picking it up, but only in regards to the splits. And I think that's fine. I think that's healthy. Speaking of triple threats, speaking of ambition. Ambition. Oh my God, ambition. We today are speaking about Nicki Minaj. <sighs> Truly hold for applause because I have been listening to all of her verses the past couple days and it is absolutely insane what she can do. I tear up listening. That is how talented she is. And I think we need to flag. There have been a few women that we have covered that have made us nervous. I can name them. Selena for one. Taylor Swift for two. And now Nicki Minaj. And, and I've, I've been thinking a lot about it. Taylor, because the Swifties can unionize and absolutely like take down government Our structures. Livelihood. Yeah. Oh, I think I would be deported by the Swifties if I were to say anything, you know, off book. Um, yeah. But we're big fans. We're big fans. We love, uh, love, love. <laughs> Selena, I think because she has been so vulnerable and so many had so many public ups and downs that they are defensive. They are defensive. They're like, this woman has been through it. I think that is the fandom there. Nikki is something else entirely. Her fandom are fiercely defensive of her talent, which I would argue is superior, if not the greatest of all time. There's also a real combative element that she brings. You feel empowered to kind of be your most confrontational, assertive self. And... It's an interesting little family she's built herself. And she's sort of, she's often at odds with people. Even back she's right now. This, yeah. yeah. In 2015. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's like how history repeats itself. But I do feel like this profile gave at least me some very useful context in a way where, not that I ever want to give anyone like a blanket thing of like, you're allowed to do whatever you want because now I know about your background. But for her... I will say that I am incredibly impressed with what she's managed to do with sort of talent alone and then personality, talent and personality both mix because the thing is, is that I think that she is 
totally authentic to her own fault at times where she will just say what she thinks even if she's on the stage accepting an award. I feel totally intoxicated by people like that who are just not afraid of reception, aren't afraid of confrontation, aren't afraid to speak their mind or stand up for themselves. I find it totally intoxicating because it's like the antithesis of like what my natural response is to like whenever anything occurs. And I hesitated to do this because I also felt like Nicki Minaj is such a talent that I was like, I've listened to her music, of course, but it feels like there's so much lore around her. And your hesitation too, I think, is because you are someone who sets themselves on fire to keep others warm. And Nicki Minaj is just the flame. Like she is just burning so bright. And I think you were hesitant because you felt such a disconnect between who you are and who she is. And yeah, I felt like I don't understand her. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But I think that's like why it's so important for you to do this. No, I I understand now the lesson there, the lesson to be learned here. And so I feel like with that, let's get into it. The title could not be more perfect. No. The Passion of Nicki Minaj in the New York Times Magazine. And it is written by the one and only Vanessa Gregoriadis, who we've had on as a guest, who is brilliant, brilliant, incredible writer, has profiled everyone under the sun. And she has her own podcast, Infamous, that everyone should go listen to because it's spectacular. This woman knows how to dive deep into a person, an investigation, a situation, and here interviewing Nicki Minaj. She also is, she's kind of doing all of that at once because it becomes clear that Nicki Minaj is not, I would say, a sort of like roll over on your back and show your tummy kind of interview subject where it's like, yeah, I'm, you're safe here. I'm good. You ask whatever you want. It gets testy at times. No, it would be a a terrifying prospect to be assigned to this interview. And I also feel like in preparation, I would need to listen to like every hip hop song that's ever been released because her knowledge is so deep, Nikki's knowledge, and it's influenced her her entire life. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot from Nikki. And with that, I feel like we got to dive in. And I'm so excited for this. Also, I like want to flag up top that this profile it's kind of a departure for us in the sense that it crosses over between like there are quotes from Nikki obviously woven in, but it's almost a ride around in many ways. It's like, there's a lot that Vanessa just pulls out from research alone. And the reason why will be revealed, but I loved it because it was so think piece esque really beautiful hybrid rather than being like I was sitting across from Ryan Gosling and here's what he told me and also I mean this is coming out in 2015 so let me set the stage there Nicki Minaj has had a huge couple years I feel like her huge years were like 2010 2011 where we have super bass we have I mean all of her songs are all on the radio and all of her verses on other people's songs including like Kanye's monster are being shouted out as like this is the best verse in any rap song maybe ever you know that Kanye almost cut that verse because it was too good yeah he was like they're gonna be talking about Nicki and not me but he kept it in which thank god but that's so she called him like begging that's so wild I can't and I hats off that his ego didn't win there but (laughs) one of the only 2015 Taylor Swift this is the 1989 world tour era so she is huge everyone is talking about her everyone is running into the wind to see her doing anything. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey came out. 
Mad Men ended. Adele is also having a huge moment with her album 25. It's just like a an interesting year for music, I think, specifically, because we're in the midst of a couple different rebrands. Didn't Justin Bieber's Sorry come out this year? No, you're right, 2015. Huge. And that year was a for full music. rebrand. His apology tour. What was in the ether that year? I don't know. God was just sort of like only good music, only good music right now. That's what's happening. And you and I have actually waxed poetic about how this was the best time for music, especially like to be at a club with Sorry playing with Super Bass with like all of these like in like these songs. They were the best songs to dance to in the world. And it was a rising electronic moment. It was like before Avicii died. And like, obviously, before the streaming wars, the TikTok virality. I know, I know. And Minaj was really, really on top, not just for her music, but also she had this sort of huge personality. I saw this review in the New York Times that talked about Minaj describing her as a sparkling rapper with a gift for comic accents and unexpected turns of phrase. She's a walking exaggeration, outsized in sound, personality, and look. And she's a rapid evolver, discarding old modes as easily as adopting new ones. What a compliment. Yeah, you have to grow and evolve, otherwise you don't stay in the game. And she just continued like blowing accomplishments out of the water, like constantly Grammy-nominated, selling millions and millions of records worldwide, is referred to often as the queen of rap. And she was not always doing that. She was once absolutely waitressing at Red Lobster and had no money and was just trying to figure out like how she could possibly make it and then found rap wrapped on like one song and was like, okay, I'm just going to go in my bedroom and try this, like put beats on and freestyle. And my God, what she comes up with is totally insane. And I want to get into her background, but I feel like it's also necessary to wait until it comes in the profile because the way that Vanessa has told this story is really an arc where you see what's going on now. And then she explains what was going on before with Nikki's semi permission because Nikki kind of refuses to confirm or deny a lot of details. So I'm going to dive in. This is how the profile opens. Pop music is dominated almost exclusively by the female star, Beyonce, Rihanna, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, Lady Gaga, and as always, Madonna. Engaging in a frantic, complex game, crossing over many genres to keep up with the current cauldron of hip hop, electronic music, and Airbnb. R-B- R-N-B. R- not R-B-N-B. R-B-N-B. That's our new R-B-N-B. restaurant. <laughs> I'm just going out to R-B-N-B. Like, do you want anything? <laughs> I know. Renting an R-B-N-B. <laughs> Signing sponsorship deals to make up for the lack of album sales. Performing live everywhere from Sheik's parties to worldwide arenas. These women are the pop business now. And they're not feeling particularly shy about telling us that. Their primary message has become one of being the woman you actually have to be behind the scenes to succeed today. Powerful, outspoken, and in control. Okay, just to take a beat here, how incredibly relevant nine years later, talking about the current cauldron of hip-hop, electronic music, and R&B, watching Lana Del Rey go on to put a country album out, watching Miley and Katie have these like hip-hop crossovers in the late 2010s, 
watching like Taylor go into folk music and come out the other side as like a alt indie artist. Really crazy how cyclical this is and how it's always kind of been the same. How do we reinvent ourselves to stay relevant? Even like the Sheik's parties, like Beyonce playing in Dubai and getting a lot of flack for it and then announcing last year. Right? Yeah. Time is the flat circle. And Vanessa is so good at capturing the zeitgeist at any point in time. Well, it is sort of timeless writing where when you're reading it, even though she's talking about the events that are happening now, you feel like if you read it, which we are years later, 10 years later, it all makes sense. It feels timeless. It feels relevant. It feels real. She says, Nicki Minaj is the world's biggest female hip hop star, a top pop star and the first woman to achieve success in both genres. Like Beyonce, who performed recently in Central Park with the words boss and hustler flashing on screens behind her, along with a grainy video in which she smashed a vacuum in a sewing machine. Minaj has become an expert at modeling the ways that women can wield power in the industry. But she's also drawn attention to the ways in which power can be embodied by a woman standing up for herself and speaking her own mind. Minaj's behavior isn't exclusive to her tracks. She also exhibits it in the national telenovela that she, like the rest of these women, to a greater or lesser degree, is running about herself, feeding the public information about her paramours, ex-paramours, peccadillos, and beefs, all of it delivered in the social media's short, sharp bursts. Okay, what is a peccadillo? I've been waiting to ask you this. Isn't it like a little, it's like a little, like issue a little something that like get you know a small relatively unimportant offense i found that sentence tough just because it was so beautiful such beautiful alliteration with paramours ex-paramours picadillos and then it was just like beefs i was like come on it's like vanessa give us another p we're so close (laughs) the beefs though is very relevant because it at the moment that this profile is written she is currently beefing with two people taylor swift who Vanessa describes as 25-year-old golden girl who may be the richest woman in music, still true to this day, other than her age, and Cyrus, who Vanessa describes as the ex-Disney star who, more than five years ago, was extolling the virtues of purity rings and is now America's preeminent bad girl. She first (laughs) recreated herself as a porn star who wore gold grills on her teeth and introduced the mainstream to twerking, a dance originating in black circles in the South. What? Minaj is coming for both of these women. Go. Obsessed with the fact that Vanessa is also coming for both of these women. Like, it's yeah, like, <laughs> it's so, you missed this like little tidbit, but it was one of my favorite pullouts from the piece where she describes Taylor Swift as wholesomely baking cookies with a rotating cast of BFFs. The, the squad days. They were all like following days. her on tour. Yep. Yep. Bringing them out at every show. And then she also talks about like Miley more recently rebranding as a happy hippie and genderqueer, which was like a huge pivot after, you know, appropriating black culture for quite a a hot minute. She distills it so perfectly when no one can get mad. Reporting the facts, Miley did wear gold grills and twerk all the time. Exactly. And Taylor Swift is with her model BFFs. Like it's all true, but somehow the way she does it is really enticingly like acerbic without ever being antagonistic like no publicist of taylor swift is going to come along and be like actually fuck vanessa vigorianis vanessa knows how to sit on a knife's edge at all times where she's like all right if i lean like i'm just right here i'm right in the middle no one i know what i'm saying and it's intentional somehow really unbiased too and yeah i know and this is coming from a woman. I mean she profiled taylor swift we should actually go back in time she profiled taylor swift like fearless era 
So yeah. we should go way back to Vanessa's first Taylor Swift profile because it was so early on. But she, like she's just been around the block so many times at this point that it's like, yeah, nothing surprises me. All these girls are pulling the same old tricks. It's also really refreshing because I think so much of music journalism now is fluffy. And there's this idea that unless you're complimenting someone, you are actively tearing them down. And it's extremely unfeminist to do that. And that's not true. That's not true. These are, as Vanessa says, some of the richest, most famous people in the world. We're allowed to speak about them in an honest way or or talk about moments in their careers that were funny or ridiculous or kind of embarrassing. It's sort of like, okay, yes, like, This is on the table and it's not an insult to bring it up. She talks about a moment in the MTV Music Video Awards where her video for Anaconda, which I don't know if you all remember. I remember it. It was a huge moment in the culture. It sampled Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. The song was incredible. She was nominated, I think, for like best hip hop video, but not best video of the year, which she took offense to because both Taylor and Miley were. This was like in a tweet at some point. She says, if I was a different kind of artist, Anaconda would be nominated. If your video celebrates women with very slim bodies, you will be nominated. Black women influence pop culture so much, but are rarely rewarded for it. True to this day. Absolutely true to this day. White women love to steal bits and pieces of black culture and wear it as like a little a little something a little edge and black women are rarely given their roses yeah and this was like pre-black lives matter so saying this kind of stuff really fell on deaf ears for one i don't even know if the term woke had entered the zeitgeist at this point i mean to say this was actually brave because it was to go against like the commercial mainstream like it was to stare them in the face and be like you guys are fucking up i mean now like this is part of the course people know this people try and be aware of this but at this point in time i mean what nikki was saying would have felt very new to a lot of white fans especially because then taylor and miley both responded and they both responded in the most white womany way possible oh my god it's like it is like you could study this case as like a textbook example of like do not do this taylor tweets back I've done nothing but love and support you. It's unlike you to pit women against each other. Maybe one of the men took your slot. The way she always makes it about misogyny, not a slight on Miss Swift. Swifties put down the pitchforks. The way that it's always comes back to gender politics with her. I'm like, it's so much more nuanced than that. It's more nuanced than that. And it's also not about you, baby. Like, this one's not about you. No. And there are racial politics. It's like when women try to be like, we're oppressed too. And it's like, okay, we're not talking about that right now. We're not talking about that right now. And Miley had kind of an even more intense pushback. She sort of said that Minaj had lacked an open heart and love and that she didn't respect Minaj's statement because of the anger that came with it. She said it was not very polite. And Nicki Minaj is not too kind, which is all just like... Do not talk about black women that way. It's like talking about them as like aggressive as like, oh, like she's can be scary and like way too loud. And it's like there are all these like horrible stereotypes that people perpetuate all the time without realizing. And Miley did exactly that. What Nicki Minaj is saying. And again, I mean, it goes back to the point of it must have felt so novel in this moment. But 
upon reflection, it's like this is very mild. Like this doesn't even have a mild and reasonable. (laughs) Yeah, I think that the only reason that they both responded like this is because they felt it takes away from their nominations or their accomplishments when they're made to feel like there should be someone else in their category that's not there because they're white and slender and that's what society wants to reward. And so it's sort of like, okay, now you've made me feel bad and made me feel like I shouldn't be here. But the three of them all suddenly under one roof at the VMAs, they're all for the first time since this sort of unfolded on Twitter, all coming together. Miley is famously hosting. Yeah. And Nicki Minaj wins for best hip hop video. Taylor's in the crowd. Miley's there hosting. So she explains to Vanessa some context. She says that she saw Miley looking at her with her face screwed up. And she was like, what the? So what she does on stage while she's accepting the award is she addresses Miley head on. She says, this bitch had a lot to say about me the other day in the press and pointed to her. Miley, what's good? And then at this point, MTV cuts Minaj's mic, but you can see her mouthing the words, don't play with me, bitch. The what's good echoed around the world. Yeah, it's one of the scariest sentences in the English language. Name, what's good, question mark. Nope, I'm good. I'm good on that. So when she's sitting down with Vanessa a month after this, she's still kind of bothered. She's still like, like, this is not like, I didn't like it. And she tells Vanessa... The fact that you feel upset about me speaking on something that affects black women makes me feel like you have some big balls. You're in videos with black men and you're bringing out black women on your stages, but you don't want to know how a black woman feels about something that's so important. Come on. You can't want the good without the bad. If you want to enjoy our culture and our lifestyle, bond with us, dance with us, have fun with us, twerk with us, rap with us, then you should also want to know what affects us, what is bothering us, what we feel is unfair to us you shouldn't not want to know that yeah you can't like turn a blind eye and deaf ears like anytime something uncomfortable comes up and so vanessa in describing Minaj, she says she stands a bit over five feet tall and as she padded around barefoot in her hotel suite there was a tangle of shoes and outfits collected nearby that she'd considered but rejected for fashion week she like kim kardashian which like i feel like both of them when you're small and you're trying to wear designer outfits, it's like everything has to be totally tailored to your body. She can only wear spandex because that's like the only thing that really fits her that's still high fashion. Yeah. And she's just come off of like a fabulous night on the town. She went to Jay-Z's 40 and 40 Club, and then she hit the recording studio with her boyfriend, Meek Mill. She got back to her hotel around 7 a.m., and this is now where Vanessa catches her. She's, like, woke up at 3.30 p.m., changed into leggings and, like, a huge shirt. She's sitting there with, like, diamonds on in her leggings, and I can't imagine the power that would be emanating off of her. I also don't want to imagine doing an interview after a night like that. No. To get in at 7 a.m. and then to get up and have a full in-depth interview with the New York Times. I mean, it doesn't. Yeah, it's you're not set up for success. Yeah. Vanessa writes, she's a unique figure who draws 10 year old girls as fans with her Technicolor wigs, sophisticated mimicry and playful attitude. Minaj also assumes a persona as aggressive, dishappy and vulgar as any man in hip hop. Dishappy. We'll we'll hold on to that one. Put a pin in it. We're in a moment where this makes all the sense because she just released a diss track. Her and Megan Thee Stallion are at odds at this time. Specifically made fun of the foot that was shot by Tori 
Lanes, not Tony Lanis, as I initially pronounced his name on this podcast. If you've been here a while, you know. We will be coming out with Tony Lanis merch. (laughs) A thong. No, no. And and that's the thing that I actually get, I think, like some of the most feedback on. People will just text me Tony Lanis and I'm like, thank you for listening. (laughs) Yeah, Minaj is just fearless in every way. There's really not been anyone like her. Would you agree? You are more familiar with her. Where do you stand? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of like everything she's done. I'm not a Bob, so to speak. And I've definitely like, I've interviewed big time New York female rappers like Remy Ma, who she's beefed with a lot and has like nothing but bad things to say about her. I mean, that seems to be the consensus across the board is like, no one really has like a great word to say about her as a person, but as an artist, like, it doesn't get better than her. She is just such an immense talent and I think can wrap circles around the men who obviously rap has since the dawn of time been more associated with. So I think she's like incredible and I won't compare her to Megan. I think they bring different things to the table, but at the end of the day, no one has, and I don't think anyone can do it the way Nicki Minaj can do it. Speaking to that point of like sort of rap through the years, Vanessa writes, in another era, Minaj's sexuality expressed semi-parody. Parad- paradox Parad- Paradox. In another okay. era, Min- Minaj's <laughs> sexuality expressed semi-paradically. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. I've learned something new today. This, I feel like I always get the little words that give me trouble. Well, it's you in that another era. says you don't like to read out loud. No, I don't. This is actually, that's why this this podcast really, um, it's out of my comfort zone to read out loud. I hated doing it in class. We based the entire concept on reading aloud. I know, but this is the thing. We have to challenge ourselves, don't we? So we do. <laughs> in another era, Minaj's sexuality expressed semi-paradically. Pretending she's a Barbie doll, glorifying women dressed as prostitutes and set in red light district windows might have given feminists pause. But in the 2010s, oh, so fun to say that, (laughs) we have entered a different world in pop culture, one in which sexual repression is perceived as burdensome and perhaps even an inability to holistically integrate the body and self. I'm obsessed. Young people are identifying and exploring the formerly unknown or at least unlabeled frontiers of sexuality and gender. This is so true. And I feel like it's very interesting in the time we're living in right now where we're in a supposed sex recession and Gen Z are having less sex than ever, just like on Snapchat and like sending nudes, watching porn, but no one is really like doing the act in person. Now it feels totally run of the mill to be confronted with nudity at all times. But do you remember like Emily Redikowski in the Blurred Lines video? That was like a cultural reset to see this little brunette parading topless. Like it felt so taboo and so wild. It was so crazy to see like Kim Kardashian post a naked selfie. And at this point or in the 2010s, it's exactly right. Like sexual repression was out. Showing off was in. Yeah, in a new way. I also forget that at this era, people were using Instagram to take pictures of their food versus their tits, you know? I know now it's so aesthetic driven. But I think, look, I mean, Chris still throws the gingham on there. I'm like, I love that. you don't need that. Just keep it at no filter. <laughs> don't do this. Yeah, that's that's true. One, don't use filters. It's just, it's fine. You're better without them. Two, You're- yeah, the, the 2010s, a big sexual moment, a moment where sex is in. And 
Minaj, I feel like at the forefront of that in many ways, Vanessa says that she can describe her vagina in more words than I thought existed, which I love and is true. It's rap has always been sort of explicit by nature and artistic at the same time, where you're sort of allowed to talk about anything you want, fucking bitches and money and death all together. Pop music doesn't necessarily get into how you make women scream or whatever it is. But rap loves to. <laughs> Taylor Swift isn't singing my neck, my back, you know. No. No. That is so true. And I think there's also something like rap has always obviously existed on the outskirts of society. I mean, only recently has it gone really, really mainstream. In the last 20 years or so, I mean, the Tupac Lil' Kim generation was probably when it really exploded, but it goes through phases. And I think while it operates on the fringes, it gives them the freedom to talk about sex and drinking, drugs, strip clubs, guns. Like we're here, we might as well address every taboo. We're here, we might as well address every taboo. Let's just, let's go in on all of it. Whereas like, obviously that's not palatable for 50 year old Mary in the Midwest. So true and brilliant. And speaking of brilliant, actually, Vanessa brings in the voice of a brilliant writer, which I thought was in part hilarious and also so random. There's a bell hooks pull quote here. Uh, the famous author all about love, an incredible theorist and feminist. She gave a talk titled Whose Booty Is This? Where she spoke specifically of Anaconda and said, what does it mean? Is there something that I'm missing that's happening here? Then she brings in also a professor of women, gender, sexuality studies at Ohio State who talks about a little bit like about like objectification and self-gratification and what female autonomy actually looks like in pop culture. But whatever these women have to say, we can all agree that it gripped the culture in this moment, whether or not it's meaningful, whether or not Anaconda is some sort of you know, symbol for the way that women are oppressed by our own fear of sexuality, I don't think matters because the culture loved it, lived for it. It's also undeniable that it shaped the beauty standard in a way that mm -hmm. was so indelible. Big booties were truly everything. The rise of the BBL, now we're seeing dramatic weight loss and obviously they don't exist in the same way that they used to. But I remember like never feeling so body confident as in that period of time. Whereas like obviously in the early 2000s, the Paris Hiltons, the heroin sheiks, it just didn't have a place for everyone. And this era of thickness felt way more inclusive for everybody type. Like it didn't have to just be the crazy hourglass, itty bitty waist, like big booty. But I think it just made things a little bit easier on the girls and I and also comes closer to what men have always sought after in many ways which is like a little bit more meat on the bones suddenly like women and men were aligning in that sense yeah and it's also so interesting because unlike Taylor Swift Minaj never was preaching and she talks about it here how she's like I'm not trying to get political or preachy I'm not trying to tell you that something I'm doing is especially meaningful or especially whatever but she was very for the girls. She was like, at one of my shows, like, I'll start talking because I want people to leave feeling like, can't nobody tell me shit. She's like, I want I want people leaving feeling like on top of the world. And she says, we've got so many girls right now having children and don't even know the first thing to say to a child, but you're having a child because I want to keep this dude or it just happened. Why are we never in control? Why are we stuck with the baby? Why are we always stuck having to beg, borrow and steal to provide for our children? I'm like, Okay, she has a real aim to empower people without being like, hey, 
it's really important that we incorporate feminism into our lives. It's like she is talking about the real stuff versus the ideological stuff. I felt incredibly empowered by this because she is referring to like a decision that I always felt for myself that if I was to have children, it would be around that 35, 36 mark where I'm more financially stable. I can provide for a child the way I want to. I've learned about myself more. I'm more comfortable in myself. I can impart the wisdom that a child deserves. And that is such a tough thing to reckon with. Like at 29, when you're in a long-term relationship and being like, okay, well, technically I could do this. Like technically I could. But her point of like technology has changed, you can wait, have something to offer your children. That felt like she was talking to me specifically. And to hear that coming from a woman in so much power who has yet really mastered her own autonomy. God, it's exactly what we need to hear. You're so right. It's not ideological. It's not like women supporting women. It's like, okay, women, you have the power to choose. She also has a quote later speaking to what you were talking about how this sort of normalized a different body where she says, who's going to tell the thick black girls that they're sexy and fly too? And I'm like, oh, she volunteered. She said, it'll be me. I'm going to tell them. I just love this next portion because obviously it's very classic that in a profile you would describe the star. And usually it's obviously men perceiving women and it's her like rosebud lips and alabaster skin. But the way Vanessa talks about Nicki Minaj here, I mean, she is obviously so impressed and like in awe of how she looks. High white forehead, dark almond shaped eyes. She describes her as beautiful and complex, but uses this as a springboard to dive into, again, something tangible, something real, Nikki's own insecurities and the fact that they all derive from Instagram. And in this moment, I mean, 2015, we couldn't get more Instagram. It was on the rise. Really, we were starting to see the early iteration of influencers. Beautiful girls were a dime a dozen in a way that we had never seen before. They didn't go to our high school. They weren't in our social circles. This was like beauty that we'd never before had access to outside of the cinema. And she is just like, okay, so I want to take steps to become more aware of who I am, what I like, what I dislike about my body. Because when I look to Instagram, everyone is freaking drop dead gorgeous. And she was like, I get that people put filters on their pictures and I definitely use filters, but I didn't know people were retouched. And this is referring to Facetune and again, in its early form. I know you and I are constantly exchanging photos back and forth and going, wait, what? What's going on here? <laughs> and Nicki Minaj calls that out too. And in that she's like, people post pictures working out, but that's probably plastic surgery. There's an incredible plastic surgery Ozempic expert, IG Famous Dana, go look her up. But she has a series called On or Around Gym Equipment, where celebrities will start posting an uptick of gym selfies. They're walking on the treadmill. It's a little boomerang of them like in their aloe set. I mean, Kylie Jenner is a great example of someone who is quick to come out with like an aloe sponsorship right when the Ozempic probably kicked in, allegedly. It's so real. And I mean, again, this is 2015 and it could not be more relevant posting pictures of working out and then there's a change in their body. She's just on the money here. Ahead of her time in so many ways. So, so many ways. And then Vanessa sort of gets into her her artistry, which is also very unique in that what makes Nikki's rap so special is that she takes on these alter egos. She has Harajuku Barbie, I would say like high-pitched voice. 
That's also the term of affection she's given her fans. It used to be Barbies, and now she just calls them Barbs. And that's like then her Nicki Minaj fans, her Barbs. There's Roman, who is an outspoken gay boy. And that's sort of the, the favorite. I think like maybe one of the ones she's most known for. And she has a slew of others. She has like Red Ruby. She has all these different alter egos that she takes on when she raps. And it's what makes it so dynamic and also so insane when you listen to her because it's not just that she's figured out her, you know, like 50 cent flow where she's like, this is my like unique voice and my unique take on rapping. It's like she has like five of those and she uses them all when needed. And she hates when Vanessa brings up Lady Gaga as a point of inspiration because she's known for her alter egos. And she's also was known at the beginning of her career for sort of outrageous costumes. And when Vanessa asks her if Gaga influenced her, she shot back a look with such disapproval, my hair curled. I don't even want to discuss that. That's so old to me, Minaj says. Uh, terrifying. Uh, what I love here, and again, Vanessa just stays on the money. This reference Vanessa makes next to an MTV documentary on Nikki's life where she's like, you have to be a beast. That's the only way they respect you. I'm going to walk off a photo shoot where there's a $50 clothes budget and some sliced pickles. That clip has so recently gone viral today, 2024. I couldn't believe that that is like the pullout out of all this archival material she could have been consuming with relation to Nicki Minaj. And she found the one quote that literally is still circulating today. I know it's like a true eye for lasting pop culture moments versus the things that burn out fast and bright. Like I don't like that goddamn strawberry dress that everyone wanted on TikTok. Do you even know the one that I'm talking about? No. So dumb. If you know, write in, but it's not even worth explaining. I'll tell you after we're done recording. Okay. And here is where we get into Minaj's past, her upbringing, because Vanessa is experiencing sort of firsthand that she can be tough and she's known to be like a just like a tough woman and not afraid to be tough with the press, not afraid to be tough with her colleagues and peers. So Nicki Minaj was born Onika Mirage in Trinidad in 1982. She grew up there living with her parents at first and then with her grandparents when her parents first immigrated to the States. They came to like get situated and settled and then Minaj came later. And she had a, a very tough upbringing, I would say. Her father had problems with alcohol and crack cocaine. He had a violent temper and there was sort of an alleged and, you know, sort of terrible story that he tried to burn down their house in 1987. She had an older brother and a younger brother and a younger sister. So it's like a lot of kids in the house. And when she immigrated, she immigrated to Queens in New York. She sort of maintains that her father was abusive, but when asked if he abused her. She says like, no, he was just abusive. I would always hear him yelling and cursing always. And it made me feel like that was the way to interact because that's how I saw him interacting. Her parents' marriage was sort of fraught. And she saw that most likely the only reason her mom didn't leave her dad with all the substance like use disorder in the house was because of financial reasons. And she says, from early on in life, I looked at a woman not having money as the biggest curse. Now that I'm an adult, I realize that women stay whether a man's rich or poor. It's just a weakness. And so you kind of, yeah. a picture starts to form of like, you know, why 
one, she was like, I have to get out of this and I'm going to be successful and I'm going to make a ton of money and support myself and be independent and do the things that I want. And you also see like, I think some more context into like, for anyone that's ever been like, oh, Nicki Minaj can be like unfiltered. It's sort of like, that makes a lot of sense. Like when you look at, I think the generational way of interacting. Yeah. In the Miley Cyrus, words of Miley Cyrus, not too kind. Yeah, I yeah. I honestly didn't until you read her birthday aloud just now realize that she was 41. And it's interesting to hear her talk about women staying in an abusive relationship out of weakness because clearly she hasn't done the work at this point in time at 31 to realize that it's not weakness, it's a dependency and someone like doesn't know how to walk away. And I think that is and we'll get into it, is missing now even in her 40s is like the sense of maturation and doing the work to be able to realize, like recognize the nuances and the and the alternating perspectives. And yeah, that spoke volumes to me, the, the sentence, it's just a weakness. Mm-hmm. I think that there's like a phrase I feel like that everyone is using right now of like, oh, unbothered, like she's unbothered, he's unbothered, like unbothered king. And I feel like Nicki Minaj is the opposite of unbothered. She is usually bothered, even if it's something small, even if it's she like picked up on a reference that someone made about her in a song. She is sort of perpetually bothered. There's no such thing as protecting her peace. She doesn't know. She's never heard it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, which is just wild. But she had sort of a, a a traditional like theater kid upbringing. She went to LaGuardia on the Upper West Side, the school from fame, if you know it. Also, and- Timothy Chalamet is another alum. Right. Yes. Yes. He Wait, is. I have to play it. He is a huge Nicki Minaj stan. Do you know that he performed Roman's rap? Oh, my God. Right. Is that the Wait. video of him on stage? Oh, no. A pink wig, no less. Wait. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 a LaGuardia man. <laughs> to give you context, to me on the track, oh my God, a to be feature on a Nicki Minaj song. I mean, it has to happen. Oh my God. I forgot about that. I didn't realize the connection. And I can imagine that while Timothy was probably, you know, rehearsing his little lines in the lunchroom, Nikki, many years prior, was freestyling. And and then after graduation, she started waitressing at Red Lobster to make money and was sort of singing like a chorus or two on random rappers' tracks. She would sit in her room for hours and hours with her beat CDs and just like rap constantly working on it we're always talking about dark nights of the soul but her dark period was in like 2002 when she was trying to in earnest at this point break into the men's world of hip-hop so it was one thing to kind of you know be like waitressing she did like a million jobs she was like a receptionist she was a waitress she sold fire extinguishers she did a million things to make money while she was trying to get her career off the ground and hip-hop is a very very male-dominated space and like kind of intense and when Vanessa asked for details about this, you know, tough kind of early years period, Nikki says, I'm not approving or confirming anything you said. 
So Vanessa is sort of forced to kind of freestyle here herself and sort of say like, okay, this is what I've deduced from from reading about her. Um, she, when she first started, was placed in a group called Hood Stars with three men, including um, Safari Samuels, who would become her boyfriend for like 10 years. She, at that point, after failing to, re- to get a contract with a major label, she started to build herself as a solo act. She, at one point, was selling like mixtapes out of her BMW. And what's written here is a car she says she scrimped to save and buy. I'm not sure when that was because after I asked about it twice, she told me it was a dumb question, which can you imagine? I've never quite been called out like that mid-interview of like, no, that's really dumb. I don't know why you would ask that. Yeah, people have skipped questions with me, Edison Ray, famously, but oh, yeah. I've n- no one has ever been like, dumb. Are you serious? You dumb girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Jesse oh. J hung up on me. Oh my God, so, no way. Yeah, so I have had that happen. I have had that happen. <gasps> what did you ask? Oh, it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. I was. <laughs> You're like, I'll take that one. I was assigned the interview maybe like 30 minutes before, had done no research outside of the fact that it was pegged to a new album. And I said, what do you hope the response will be? Like, what do you hope people will take from it? And she said, well, it actually came out last week. And if you'd done your research, you would have known that. So this interview is over. Goodbye. And she hung up. Oh. It had been such a, it had been such a beautiful interview to that point. It was like actually really nice, and yeah, she just absolutely shut me down. So I have had that, but never. And when it's an actual question that is valid and rational, being like, "That's dumb. Don't ask about my past. <laughs> my past is not up for discussion." Yeah, that's one absolutely crazy. I can't believe that, and I'm sorry that happened to you. Two, Vanessa manages to paint a vivid picture of her past, despite the fact that Minaj is like not participating in this part of the profile. So at this point she is making her way. She's getting on bigger and bigger features. Lil Wayne, who like she regards as one of her idols, his label, young money. She becomes the first woman and they sign her. And that's a really huge deal. She was like working with Samuels, her boyfriend at the time. And she didn't introduce him as her boyfriend for many years. She was sort of like, he's a producer of mine which was sort of normal at the time. I feel like pop stars were never forthcoming about their boyfriends because it was way better and more marketable to be sexually available to fans. Now she's with Meek Mill. And this is the start of the end right now is when we bring up Meek Mill. So Vanessa is like, (laughs) okay, and now you're dating him. And it's interesting because Drake, who is a label mate with Minaj on Young Money. Longtime it, friends and rumored yeah. lovers. So like there's yes. a history here. Yes, yes. Meek Mill and Drake had a sort of beef because Meek said that Drake was using a ghostwriter and Drake was like, I'm going to put a series of diss tracks out because how dare you? I actually loved the way that Drake really elevated Nikki in those tracks. I mean, she was all over it. It was like, like he was like, shout out to boss bitches, wifing and what like, he's like, Meek Mill is Nicki Minaj's wife elevated her while, you know, decimating the fragile male ego. Is that a world tour or your girls tour? I mean, and what's so ironic now is like the the concept of ghostwriters in rap music is completely commonplace and honestly moot in the sense of authenticity, which is the big question here. Because while rap used to be a sign of 
your soul, true poetry. Now it's like, look, we've got to keep up with the markets. We've got to feed fans. And one person just doesn't have the bandwidth to turn around that much music or the content required to like keep it, keep a career going these days. You know, it's not like a one album every two year cycle. It's like constant singles to stream. Yeah. But it was such a low blow at the time. And now we get into, I think the toughest part of the profile, which is that Vanessa kind of wants to stay here on this point of like Meek and Drake and beefs and all the different things happening. She asks her, like, how does this make you feel? And she's kind of like, they're men, they're grown ass men. It's between them. Like, I hate it. It sucks. But it, you know, I want it to be over, but it doesn't really involve me. And this Vanessa asks, is there a part of you that thrives on drama or is it just pain and unpleasantness? The room went quiet, but only for an instant. That's disrespectful, Minaj said, drawing herself up in the chair. Why would a grown-ass woman thrive off drama? You know, these are... I think we should stick with this for a minute. Why would a grown-ass woman thrive off drama? It's an interesting question. There are whole television shows dedicated to this. I think, like, Real Housewives is a show about real grown women thriving off drama. And that's, it's, you know, we have hundreds of seasons of that. I think it happens all the time. I think it's interesting to read this as her and Megan fight. And at this point, she's in her 40s, dishonoring a woman that was brutally hurt by a partner. I don't know. what What's your take? Why would a grown-ass woman thrive off drama? The answer is simple, because it is really commercially viable to do so. Between the shots fired from Meek to Drake, all they were doing is elevating Nikki's own profile. I mean, Drake giving her so much credit in Back to Back, his Meek Mill diss track, Megan and Nikki releasing Back to Back singles that, you know, have boosted their own value. Every press outlet in town is writing about it and covering it. A grown ass woman would thrive off drama because it's it's good for her net worth. Her taking massive offense to this. And like Vanessa says, like, this is not what I meant. I didn't mean drama in the real housewife sense. I meant drama in like the narrative arc, HBO series, like grand story of your life sense where it's like, you know, it could be valuable to have these distracts and how they could bolster your career. Right. But she was like, but what I said was offensive. And even though I tried to apologize, I only made matters worse. But the fact that Nikki can't take the question for what it is being like, look, no, this sucks, but I will admit it does do a lot for both men involved and a lot for me. I mean, so many beefs are manufactured for this reason because it elevates the profile of both artists. Yeah, this is, this seems a little bit elementary to me that she won't even acknowledge, especially for being such a boss bitch and a businesswoman. I'm like, well, babe, you actually know how to answer this question. It's clear to me that Vanessa did not mean this in a way to like tear her down or like in a way to suggest that Nikki is petty and, you know, this is all happening and she's loving it. She's loving that, you know, people are suing each other for huge sums of money and her boyfriend and her, you know, someone on her label are fighting. And I also respect the fact that Vanessa immediately apologizes. And it's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean it like that. But Nikki forges on, pushes forward. She says, why do the four men you just named have 
to do with me thriving off drama. Why would you even say that? That's so peculiar. Four grown ass men are having issues between themselves and you're asking me, do I thrive off drama? What did you putting me down right there do for you? Yeah. And interesting, going back to the four men, there was another beef that was like a little bit skipped over, but Birdman and Lil Wayne, who are on the same label, Young Money, are also in like a vicious feud right now. Vanessa is not only asking about Drake and Meek, she is asking about Lil Wayne and Birdman as well, who are obviously close friends of Nikki and also mentors, confidants the whole night. So I do understand how her heckles have been so raised here because it's not just about her boyfriend and a friend. It's also about a deep and dangerous because there are bullets flying battle between two of her mentors. And in that way, it's like, okay, well, there's no possible way I could thrive off that drama. A, it's not like commercially viable for me in any way, but B, it's also hard to watch. Like, someone might get hurt here. So I get it. It is funny that she makes it about women. Like she, again, it's like, seems to be the default in this period of time when she's like, why do you have to put a woman down with regards to what men do? And it's more just like, Vanessa's trying to be like, look, there's a lot going on in your life and in your orbit. And I'm just trying to work out like how you feel about it fundamentally. And I asked it the wrong way. I know. I feel like that happens also when someone is embroiled in a nasty divorce or a court case of some kind where there are two versions of the story present where it's like, how could you ask me about that? And it's also like, how could I not ask you about that? Because this is something that's actively happening that's newsworthy. And putting my little reporter hat on, it's sort of like, you know, I might feel remiss leaving this interview if I didn't get any quotes from you about the huge news story that's happening right now that directly involves a bunch of people close to you. Yeah. And these are not two girls gabbing. Like it's not two friends sitting here. Vanessa's fundamentally got a job to do. Artists here are moving into a period of being like much more delicate flowers where they're not understanding that that is a part of the contract. It's like, you want press, you want the big New York Times profile. They're going to ask the tough questions and it's on you and your team to be prepared for them. It's exactly that, that they're not two best friends gabbing. And it's sort of like, why would you bring that up right now? It's like, no, I'm, I'm here in the capacity as a reporter. And Nikki goes on. There are some brutal, I mean, if I don't know how Vanessa didn't break down to tears. I feel like I would have broken down into tears if Nicki Minaj was looking at me dead in the face and saying, women blame women for things that have nothing to do with them. I really want to know why, as a matter of fact, can we move on? Do you have anything else to ask? And then she continues to put down a woman for something that men do as if they're children and I'm responsible has nothing to do with you asking stupid questions because you know, that's not just a stupid question. That's a premeditated thing you did. She calls Vanessa rude, a troublemaker, and then finally says, do not speak to me like I'm stupid or beneath you in any way. I don't care to speak to you anymore. That's it. Vanessa is kicked out of the hotel room. There's a real admission here, and I we've got a flag that this was Vanessa Gregoriadis' first article for the New York Times, which must have been so, or the New York Times Magazine, which must have been so devastating to be like, okay, this has gone so awry when I've been assigned this huge moment, the cover of the New York Times Magazine. And so she ends up in the lobby of the hotel thinking about her actions. And then she was like, even though I had no intention of putting her down as a small-minded or silly woman, she was right to call me out. She had the mic and she used it to her advantage, hitting the notes that we want stars like her to address right now, particularly those of misogyny and standing up for yourself. 
even if it involves standing up for yourself against another woman. I didn't know how much of it Minaj really felt and how much it was a convenient way of maintaining control. I only knew that in that moment, she was a boss bitch. And that's it. It's very good. It's very it's good. It's very good. It's it's again, I feel like we're just hitting our stride here with how many good, good profiles we've been reading recently. But this is one to read, you guys. It's short, it's culturally relevant when it comes to Megan, social media, making it as a woman in the industry, feuds. And it does feel like a little time capsule to open this year. It feels like all of this stuff is actively going on right now. I can't believe it's almost been 10 years <sighs> since Miley What's Good. Man. So scary. So we then have our question. How much do you want to sit down and have a drink with this person? You know what? I think she would actually be an incredibly interesting interview. I think what's tough would be bringing up anything remotely contentious because she still doesn't seem to have the distance to navigate those kind of questions. Like even this 10 years ago, now I think she cannot not take anything personally. You know, a drink maybe, but a tough interview. Yeah, I think I'm I'm drink only. I'm drink only and we're just talking about whatever. You know, what's going on right now, our outfits and stuff. I feel that it would be a tough interview. I feel like I'd misspeak at some point and then that would be the end of me. That'd be the end of me. Yes. And I think that you and I both know, I, I certainly do, a lot of kind of older millennial women who came up clawing their way in a culture of misogyny where, or having to, yeah, full circle, foot in the door, work their way to the top. And the person that creates these women that I'm referring to are very hard. They are tough. And that is scary. Like I know a lot of women in their early 40s or late 30s that are very scary. And it's because they have had to be. But because I'm of like a different generation and I feel even though technically we're both millennials, I'm on the younger side, they're on the older side. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells around them to make sure that they are comfortable and happy because I actually am too sensitive to to tolerate a dressing down from them. So I think it would be very fun, insightful to have a cocktail or two with her, but to really try and go toe to toe with her in a way that you have to as a reporter. I actually think it would just be too scary and too tough. So we've been in many situations, Ivana, where I found us like kind of bending over backwards for a Nicki Minaj type, where we are dancing to make sure that they are so happy that, you know, and they are going off. Like they are running their mouth on whoever wronged them last. And we are just like totally fuck that bitch yeah fuck it. <laughs> yes. like, uh, oh fuck that bitch oh my god yeah she sucks she sucks <laughs> no we are trying to like mildly what's good our way into their good graces and it's so hard to do and like i think you reach a turning point at this at this time in your life and probably the early 40s where you're like okay do i soften do i take the adversity that's been thrown at me and use it as a way of being like no one helped me no one pulled me up I don't need to help anyone else because everyone should be able to figure out on their own just like I did. I, I think there's a real there's a real crossroads and she is reaching it now in this Megan beef. How do you feel? You know, I love Megan. I love Megan. And I think the issue is that some okay, not issue. There's no issue here. I, I have no issue with anyone. But what's tough for me is that 
I don't think that I feed off drama. It actually just stresses me out when I hear about people fighting. Like I know that there's like an excitement when sometimes you're like gossiping and you're like, yeah, and then this person wronged this person. And I find more and more it's like watching scary movies where there was a time where it was like fun to let my like nervous system do the like jump up and down. And now I just really feel like Uh, Like, this is actually stressing me out. I'm, like, stressed out hearing about this. I'm stressed out hearing about how you're going to wrong this person or how you, like, destroyed their life in some way. It's just stressful for me. No, I mean, to be alive in this day and age is to wake up with a cortisol boost. Like, your anxiety is yo-yoing from the minute you open your eyes. And it's like, I don't need anything else. Like, I don't need any more uncertainty or fear in my day-to-day life. I I hate to say it, but I think this literally dots the eye on my point exactly. Megan is 28 years old. She is the last year of millennial and Nicki Minaj at 41, born in 1982, is in the first two years. And it's so perfectly bookmarked. I mean, it is two women, one who's like, don't you dare speak on my name, I'll cut you. And one who's like, just let me in. Like, let me in, acknowledge my talent, acknowledge my power, and we're cool. It's that simple. It truly is a battle of the generations. It is, and Megan is actually unbothered, it seems like. She's kind of like laughing, giggling. It's like, this is not that serious. It doesn't seem like Nikki feels that way of like, oh, whatever. All good. It's like, no, 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 no. Like listening to Hiss and listening to Bigfoot. I mean, I think... Bigfoot has a better beat. I mean, I think I think Megan's like bars are better, honestly. Like, and she's obviously had more time, but I think Nikki has kind of like the makings of a better song with Bigfoot, ironically. But what she's doing with it, I mean, it goes back to like the greatest district of all time, like Tupac hit him up, you know, where he comes in so hard at the end. And he was like, I will like fucking kill you without just being like, <laughs> take money take money and Nikki's trying to do that same thing I feel at the end of Bigfoot but it's so ominous and it's her just speaking directly to Megan in a way that is actually terrifying and the lack of melodic or musicality there shows that she's take it's it's above and beyond it's like at the end of the day tupac was going in but he was still rhyming like he was decimating biggie but he was rhyming like it was still for an audience she is literally cracking her knuckles on that track for megan specifically and it's not really palatable for a fan of either artist i do want to end and i feel like this is a good note to end on which is that as i was looking through all of the Nicki Minaj beefs I found my favorite one and this is what I'd like to close out on in which (laughs) she blamed her kind of slower album sales like she was like expecting it to do way better on Stormy who is Travis Scott and Kylie Jenner's daughter and she was six months old at the time what the album coming out the same week as Stormy being born she was like, oh, because Travis Scott had the number one album with Astro World, And she was like, no, it's because of Stormy. And I'm mad. I'm mad at this baby. I hate to say it. She's probably right. The marketing machine that is Kris Jenner was probably like, we'll announce the baby the same week Astro World drops. But I love yeah. that she has to say it. And she is quoted in The Fader as saying, I know that you guys are saying me and baby Stormy have beef. Yes, we do. 
Now this is what the fuck is happening today. Me against baby Stormy. We have this rivalry now. (laughs) (laughs) You're never too young. Let us all take that as a warning to never go up against Onika Mirage. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stormy, I wish you well. You inherited this beef. So Stormy, baby. Thank you for a beautiful breakdown, Ivana. I thoroughly enjoyed this, as you could probably tell by me cutting it at every single moment to dissect no, the I last sentence. It. This was so damn good and juicy. Yeah, so it was juicy. really tasty. A really tasty one. I really had fun with it. And I appreciate you for taking me out of my comfort zone in more ways than one. I love you. I go see you next week with another great profile. Subscribe, rate, review. As if Nicki Minaj is standing over you with a gun. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. We love you. (laughs) Uncover Girl is lovingly crafted by Beatrice Hazelhurst and Ivana Ryder. If you want to get even deeper under the covers with us, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash uncovergirl or follow us on Instagram at uncovergirlpodcast. Rate Uncover Girl, write us a review and share your favorite episode. Shawn Mendes, Rolling Stone 2018, anyone? And we will be your forever fans. Love you.